Good evening. I think you're out there. Welcome to the 2021, what we like to call church community Christmas Eve Eve service. Lots of churches represented here. And we're so thankful uh, to be able to share our, our grass and our lawn here with you. And so glad you came out. Many, many of you maybe think, well, why a Christmas Eve Eve service? Um, some of you know this story that are from our church, but uh, many years ago, Gina and I were planning a church way out in the Nevada, California desert, high desert, and for many years, we could never get home to Gina's family on Christmas Eve. We always had services of ourselves, and so I always made a promise to her, I'm going to get you home one of these days for Christmas Eve. Uh, so as I was thinking, and Christmas was coming around probably 20 years ago, I thought, well, what if we try a Christmas Eve Eve service? And our attendance doubled. Uh, we found out that a lot of people um, want to go see grandma and travel or or in this case many other churches have theirs and allowed a lot of people to get together and we've been doing this for probably over 20 years now in different churches uh, and enjoying a Christmas Eve Eve service so we're so glad you came out welcome welcome on the behalf of our church and the other uh, pastors that are represented here as well we're so glad you came out to be with us this is a great occasion well, let me pray and then we'll get going in the word of God tonight. Father, thank you for this time together. We praise you for this time of year. It causes us to concentrate on the incarnation, this great gift of love of Christ stepping into humanity, dressing himself in flesh, preparing to die for us. And yet, Lord, our, our minds and our vision comes to that cradle, to that manger where the Son of God, the creator of the universe, lied. Lord, joy to the world that he came. And that is our theme, Lord, as we sing to you and preach and teach and fellowship, Lord. Joy to the world that you sent your Son to be our sacrifice. And so we give you praise tonight. We ask that you bless this time in the Word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas is such a beautiful time of year, isn't it? We enjoy it. We love spending time as families together, as churches together. And the Christian, to the Christian, it's truly a time to remember that God sent his son. Now think about this. God sent his son to reverse the curse. Many of our Christmas carols talk about that, particularly joy to the world. When Adam and Eve rejected God, the world fell under a curse as well. Man fell into depravity. And now he was a hopeless sinner. When we think about that phrase, reverse the curse, that brings us back to that fall, the depravity that every human is born into. And somebody, someone had to break that curse. There was no way we were going to overcome it on our own. Fallen humanity would, would never know the redeeming love of God if Christ would not have come as a babe in that manger, live a perfect life in humanity, fully God, but in his humanity to reverse a curse that we could not overcome. And when we study God's word, particularly the verses that we're going to look at tonight, we realize that God took the initiative. God took the initiative to reverse that curse and provide a path for you and I, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, to have an eternal relationship with him. And it revealed a deep love that God has for his children. Christmas reveals a deep love that God has for his children. In fact, if we are to define true love, 
and how those who experience God's true love, if we are to define that, we have to define it according to God and his word. That's the only way to define true love. God is the only one that is not sinful. And as, as, as sweet as our love is for one another, even our spouses and family and children and grandchildren, love is defined by God. And he showed that night 2,000 years ago as that babe was born of a virgin from a miraculous conception, but born of a virgin in that manger, he declared his love for sinners. And he brought salvation to us. Two verses I want to look at tonight are found in the book of 1 John. 1 John has a lot of Christmas verses in it. Anytime in your Bible as you're reading it along and you find a place where it says that God sent his son, you've got yourself a Christmas verse, don't you? And so in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, the verses read this way. Now listen to the love of God in this. Verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Our first thought tonight as I want to put my mind around this great love of God is God's great love is manifested in the incarnation of his divine son. In the incarnation of his divine son. If you don't know that term or you're not familiar with that term, that's a theological term that describes that God of glory, Jesus Christ, the one and only who shares the glory of God fully equal with God, came to this earth dressed himself, added to his deity, human flesh, so he would be born of a babe, as a babe, he would live a sinless life, die a perfect death, and be resurrected by his Father for our victory. So incarnation is a very important part to our salvation. If he comes in any other way, if he's some kind of spirit or some kind of angel or something, he cannot represent you and I. So Christmas is extremely important to our salvation and one of the reasons we love it. Now, according to verse 9, if you look at this verse, I think it's up there on the screen. The true nature of God's love was manifested in this incarnation of Jesus Christ. So in other words, when God sent his son and his son stepped out of heaven and he added, added flesh to his deity, he came to satisfy the wrath of God against our sins. And according to God's perfect word, where we, where we understand this from, this defines the greatest love man can ever experience. See, Christmas is about God's love. That's what it's about. It's God loving us and sending his son. The Bible tells us in verse 7, it says, love is from God. The Bible tells us in verse 8 that God is love. So he is clearly the definition. Love is defined by God. It is the greatest definition of love we can ever find. But notice in verse 9 there, the verse starts with this little phrase, in this. And I like that because there's instruction. It's looking forward. It's going to tell us how God loves us. And that statement is that God's love was so fully revealed through the means of sending his son to the earth to redeem those who believe in him that it was a demonstration of his absolute perfection in love. In this, this is how God was going to demonstrate, manifest 
his love. So the incarnation, the coming of Christ in the flesh, was an unmistakable manifestation of God's divine love. Christmas is about love. Now, I love this word manifested. It simply means that God took what was invisible and made it visible. Certainly, we could see that God was a God of love in the Old Testament, but it was a little more difficult. No one has seen God and lived, the Bible says. Most appearances of, of Yahweh were probably represented by Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. And so God wanted to show his love. He wanted to demonstrate his love to man while they were still sinners. And so God took what was invisible, this invisible love, and made it visible through Jesus Christ. So that means that previous, before his coming, we would have struggled to understand the profound depth of God's love. So on Christmas 2,000 years ago, God made his love clear. God made his love personal. God made his love dynamic on that first Christmas morning because there in that manger laid the love of God. The example, the demonstration, the definition of God's love. See, it's no wonder the angels proclaimed, as Mitch read to us, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. This was it. Man was desperate. So many of our Christmas songs, if you listen carefully, it talks about a lot of darkness that laid on the world. The world was in decay. The world was in full depravity. Nothing could help man in this earth. And the angels knew that. They, they, they knew the plan of God. They studied the scriptures. Remember, First Peter says they longed to look into the truth of the scriptures to see the timing of the Christ. And so they looked in, and there they saw that Jesus was coming to this earth, and they came and met these lowly shepherds in this dark time where Caesar Augustus has control over all humanity. And they say, glory to God in the highest. And, and as we've said many times this Christmas season, this message reaches from the highest heaven to the lowest earth. The angels proclaim that. So the truth of God's own love reached its climax at Christmas time 2,000 years ago. What a climax. The answer, the seed, the long-awaited one is here. God is demonstrating his love in, in full definition of Jesus Christ. Notice in this verse, this little prepositional phrase, in us. I, I really like this phrase. The Bible says that by this, the love of God was manifested in us. You know what that tells us? It tells us that, that God displayed his love in an extremely personal way. It's very personal to God. He knows us. He knows us before the foundations of the world. He knows us intimately. This was personal. That phrase is beautiful in us. He, he wanted to demonstrate, magnify, manifest his love in us. He wanted us to see that. Most people do not experience the depth of love of God. The Bible clearly shows us that most people reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. And yet, his full expression of his love is revealed to those who believe in him through Jesus Christ alone. He, he lets you see his love as you look into the gaze into the eyes of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born on this earth, who died on this earth, who was resurrected from this earth for your salvation. Next phrase says this in this great verse says that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Well, that little word that, maybe your translation might say because, 
Um, so it's a little great little phrase there. It's really a subordinating conjunction here. That it means that John wants to emphasize something strongly. He wants, to, he wants you to know that we now have the knowledge of God's love because he sent his son into the world. See, see you have the knowledge of God's love because you recognize that Christmas isn't just about presents and trees and all of that. You know it's a demonstration that God loves you. He sent his son for you. And Paul, excuse me, John wants you to know this, that, 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 that God sent a son. He wants you to understand the manifestation, um, uh, the manifested love of God here in this verse. See, this is why the holiday of Christmas season itself does not change the eternal state of people. No matter of days here, we'll open presents and there'll be tons of wrapping paper and garbage out by your curb and all kinds of things go on. And within a week, you'll be back to work. The streets will be busy. Everything's going to return. And most people will never think that God is a God of love who sent his son. See, it's the holiday can't save you. It's the one in the manger, the one who can offer eternal reconciliation. That's the one that you come to through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what makes Christmas a demonstration of God's love term Christ alone is really emphasized in this passage. Notice that phrase, only begotten son. It's interesting in the Greek, it has a double article on either side of it. And it's telling us that God wants to emphasize the uniqueness of his son. There's many religions that get this wrong and do a terrible injustice to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, the Bible, if we interpret it right, it's calling attention to this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son, the sender and the sent one. And think about this. Throughout eternity, the Son was in an intimate, face-to-face, equal relationship with God, according to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, standing in equality, and the Word was God. Now, in this beautiful instruction in the Bible, we find the, the word dwelt among us. And John says, we beheld his glory in John chapter 1, verse 14. So, so this sets the true Christianity apart from all other religions. That what's in that manger is God himself. John chapter, second, excuse me, second John chapter 1, verse 7 says this, there are many deceivers that have gone out into the world. Now listen to this. Those who do not acknowledge as Jesus as the coming in the flesh. See, most of the world can't get their mind around that deity can dwell among us. But that's exactly what the apostles told us. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. He was here. He resided with us. The greatest demonstration of God's love and all other religions reject that. They either reject his deity or they reject his humanity. We teach both. God, fully man, Excuse me, Jesus, fully man and fully God. Deity incarnate. This only begotten carries a a one of a kind type of definition. He's the unique one, we would say. Many people mess with this term, but it means there's unequal. There's nothing equal to the son. He's able to fully reveal the father to you. See, that's why he's the only begotten. That's why he's the unique one. No one else could show you the father. In fact, Jesus himself said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What? No one gets to the Father except me. He is the unique one. He's the one that can reveal the Father's love to you. Now, this sheds an incredible light 
on that babe in the manger 2,000 years ago. Incredible grace here. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So what lies in that manger is the demonstration of God's love, the exact representation of God's love and grace manifested to us. The verb here, sent, is a great verb. It carries a tense that reminds us that this was God's plan from eternity past. That baffles us, though we don't understand that and fully can't get our mind around this. Long before the fall of man, God purposed, he planned the sending of his son to rescue us sinners. So Christmas is a blessing to us. As we think, this babe laying in this manger, born of this young virgin and all the trials and all the troubles they went through as God protected them and brought them to this prophesied city called Bethlehem, this was God's plan to send his son for undeserving sinners. It was God's plan to give, listen to this, an unending salvation through that babe to those who believe in Jesus Christ alone. And notice in the verse, he came into the world When you think about that, that denotes that Jesus Christ left his heavenly abode, didn't he? He walked out and stepped out of the presence of the Father in a sense, right? Always always one with the Father, but, but, but yet departs from the presence of the Father and he leaves the air of heaven. He breathes the dust of air, which was his destination. And so when you come back to that manger scene that Mitch read for us, what a precious scene that is. There he is in that scene the one who holds salvation for those who will believe. The last phrase in this verse really separates the pretenders from the contenders, right? Jude, writing to the early church, said this, those who contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. See, true believers live for the one who died for them. Notice at the end of the verse, it says that we we might live through him. This is the purpose of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was actually to bestow life. And that we is is those who believe and to have life not only abundantly, but eternally. And praise God, we have life abundantly on this earth, but we're also given eternal life. And notice it's through him. Jesus is the means. He's the only begotten son. He's the mediator. He's the agent. He's the one that grants abundant and eternal life. And he imparts that life while we're on this earth. And he gives us great joy as we wait the return of the king of kings. So this verse reminds us that this God-given manifestation of this great love gives life to those who believe. And not merely just for the future, but love the love gift of receiving life. You have new life in Jesus Christ. So we will know how to conduct ourselves right now and all the way through the end of time. Our second thought found in verse 10 is this. God's great love is manifested in his loving nature and actions. God's great love is manifested in his loving nature and actions. Well, God's great love has been manifested through the sending of a son. We see that in verse 9, so that we can live for him. But because of this great manifestation of God's love, our sin was propitiated. He's going to use a great word here that we'll look at. Through the sacrifice of this incarnate son. 
Somebody has to satisfy the wrath of God. But I want you to notice as we work on this verse here that you see the word love again. Again, it's agape. Um, this is a word for unconditional love. And so we realize as we look at verse 10, in this is love, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And so as we unpack the statement, we start to realize not that we love God, but that he loved us. See, the word of God wants us to, to be sure that, that there's no contradiction who loved who. The word of God wants to make sure to, to in, a, in essence, contradict any misconceptions that God is naturally loved by the unsaved. Now, that might be a hard statement for some of you to hear. But the Bible is clear. We're dead in our sins. Dead people don't love. You might love a rock, but the rock can't love you back. <laughs> See, the, this verse, John's trying to help us understand that love was based on the condition of God, not based on us. Notice the plural pronoun, a, pr a plural preposition here, we. It contrasts us sinful human beings with a loving God. Look at this again. In this is love, not that we, the sinners, the, the ones in depravity loved God, but that he loved us. What a great contrast. People fallen in humanity, left in their depravity, do not naturally love God. Before salvation, we could not receive or express this love. But now, notice it says that God loves us. What a triumphal statement. See, when I think about Christmas, and I still, we, a lot of us pastors study a lot and teach a lot during the season, we begin to be overwhelmed when we look at this, that God would love us so that he would send his only begotten son, the unique one, the one that shares his glory. He would send him in human form and, and the Lord Jesus would humble himself to be, take on the form of a servant, take on the form of humanity and humble himself even to the point of death, the death of the cross. And we're humbled at that. But this is God loving us. This is God triumphing, uh, triumphing over our lack of ability to love. You know the verse, Romans 8, excuse me, 5, 8. God loved us while we were still sinners. God loved you. When we look at that babe, as, as I hope many of you read the Christmas story in the next couple of days around the family. When you look at that manger scene, please don't forget this. If you hear anything tonight, that is God demonstrating his love to you. If you know him as your savior, there that babe is for you in that manger to rescue you, to reverse the curse, to demonstrate to you true, infinite love. God did this, as verse 10 says, by sending his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, but a very important word. And it describes a, a certain depth and aspect of God's love. Apostle John here is, is being led by the Spirit. He uses this theological truth to drive this home. Propitiation teaches that, that there was, there's a redemptive nature and a loving action to God's choices. See, we find ourselves at odd with God. In fact, the Bible says we were by nature children of wrath. That's, that's not a loving relationship. We're under the wrath of God before salvation. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus is born of a woman. He's born under the law to bring about God's redemptive mission. 
to display the love of God so in Christ you can have your sins propitiated. Now the word propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of God. See, if you're a believer here today, and you should really enjoy Christmas, when you think about that, God is no longer angry with you. There is no longer a war against God. Oh yeah, we still struggle. We're still sinful at times. But we have a God who loves us and has demonstrated his love to send his son for you, for us. And he is satisfied through Jesus Christ. There's a little conjunction here and in this, and I, I love this little phrase here. It says, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation. Well, this little conjunction is, is a powerful link to God's truth and to show his action. Not only does God just love you, but he acts. Oh, it's easy to say, well, honey, I love you, but you do nothing. You don't demonstrate your love. It's one of the problems in marriages, isn't it? But God says, I, I love you so much I sent your son. And let me to tell you what I'm going to do with my son. He's going to come and take your sins, and I'm going to judge him like he committed those sins. And he will satisfy my wrath, and I will pour out my love upon you because of what he has done when you place your faith in my son alone. See, that's action. See, when we look at Christmas and this babe in the manger and that scene, it's a difficult at times, but then when we look a little bit closer, we begin to see the love of God. We, beseech, we begin to see the propitiatory work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. He has to be born of a babe. He has to grow up and live those 33 years of sinless. He has to represent us fully. That's why he takes on flesh so he can die and be our substitute. Christmas is a celebration of God's mission to display his great love through his son's propitiatory work. He satisfied God. John 2.2, 2, just a few chapters over, says, he himself, speaking of Jesus, double, double pronouns, he himself is our propitiation. God satisfied in him for our sins. See, this speaks of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in closing, as we think about the New Testament, we thank the Lord that Jesus Christ came born under the law because he came to fulfill it. He came to be the final lamb, didn't he? Up to the birth of Jesus, many lambs were born to die, weren't they? Many lambs were set apart at that one-year age, unblemished, unmarked, to be the sacrifice for the sins of people. And that lamb, that, that innocent, nice little fuzzy one-year-old lamb, would die in the place of someone else for their sins. The problem is it had to be done again and again. But Hebrews reminds us of this great Christmas morning. I want you to hear Christmas in this. Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 5, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, now listen to that, can never by the same sacrifices which they are offered continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. So you can't be perfect by works. The Old Testament system was not God's design to save you. It was pointing towards Jesus Christ. Now listen to what the Bible says. But in those sacrifices, there was a yearly reminder of sin year by year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now listen to this conversation between Jesus and, and God. Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That's the final lamb, people. He becomes the last lamb. 
the last one to die, the last blood to be shed for our remissions, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that babe in the manger is that final lamb. His blood uh, alone atones and satisfies the wrath of God for all who believe once and forevermore. That's why the angels were so excited. They said, today, today there's a Savior born for you. That's, that's Jesus. He was born for us. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Well, Christmas time, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest display of God's love. And in the next couple days, as you open presents and you spend time with loved ones, spend time, think about that demonstration of love. Point your children and your grandchildren. Point unbelievers to that manger. You can tell them right there is God displaying love for you. He sent his son to manifest his love. And that son went on to die in our place for all who believe. See, this is Christmas. Do you believe this? Well, you live for Jesus. A lot of people are singing great carols out there. I'll listen to them sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing down the, down the aisles in the grocery store. But do they believe that Jesus is God in flesh and he came to rescue us from our sins? This is Christmas. This is Christmas. I hope you have a great year. I hope you enjoy family. I hope you enjoy the blessings of God. But I hope you remember tonight, in the next couple days, that great demonstration of love that God did for us 2,000 years ago. He sent his son. And we Christians celebrate that. Presence trees, secondary. Jesus, number one. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us so much that before the foundations of the world, you laid down a plan to rescue us. And it wasn't a plan that had plan B or C or any other. The plan was send your son, the one that radiates your glory, the one who is the exact representation of you, the one that, that we could see you finally, finally understand who you are, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. In your infinite sovereign power, through the Holy Spirit, you placed that babe in the womb of Mary. You protected that babe from the depravity of man, from the sin nature of Mary and Joseph. And through a very natural birth, on a very lonely night, the Savior of the world entered. The greatest demonstration of the love of God came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He was resurrected to show our victory over sin, Satan, and death. And so, Lord, Christmas makes us exalt you. And, Lord, we will not stop exalting your son when New Year's comes around or January or February or any time of the year, Lord. This is just a time we really thank you for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, may you hear our singing. May you hear our preaching. May you hear our, our gospel testimony, Lord. And may it bring glory to you. Thank you for all those involved here. Thank you for the band and the sound and all who came, Lord. Lord, bless them tonight. Cause them to know your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to sing one last song together. A very familiar carol. I'm sure you all know, and as we are, I believe we're going to start lighting the candles. Everybody get a candle out there? I'm assuming you're saying yes. <laughs> Everybody get a candle out there?
Awesome. All right, well, let's sing this last uh, song together. Church 
uh, down the road here on Granada. It's grateful for my wife and I to be here tonight. Uh, what a wonderful crowd as we gather. And as the pastor said, as we, over the next couple of days, enjoy the, the blessings that come with these next few days, let's not forget the glorious display of God's love through the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. King Jesus, it is incredible and amazing to even try to think about how you condescended to us, undeserving sinners, Lord, in desperate need of your grace and mercy. But yet you were willing to come, be the propitiation for our sins. Lord, you said no one takes your life. You willingly laid it down. And you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. It's amazing. We'll stand in awe the rest of our days and we'll sing your praise and worship you for all eternity. We give you thanks. Thank you that you first loved us. Help us to love you more as we should and live our lives for your glory and your honor, pointing others to Christ, placing their faith in Christ alone as their hope for salvation. We give you thanks for this good evening. We ask you to bless each person represented, their families, and everyone on these grounds tonight as we depart and uh, go into these next few days as we celebrate and think on the glorious birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in your name tonight we pray. Amen. Well, I have the best announcement of all tonight after the gospel, and that's that there's hot chocolate. And so uh, you don't have to run away tonight. You don't have to leave. Their fires are going to be lit. There's hot chocolate over next to the building. Yeah, I'm for that. Uh, and so be sure and hang around and visit tonight and enjoy uh, one another's company and, and be thankful for what God is doing. Uh, with that good cup of hot chocolate. All right? God bless you. Merry Christmas.